Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. This is CNN Breaking News. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper. The death toll in the United States this afternoon now reaching what was once an unthinkable number. More than 50,000 people in the United States lost to coronavirus. To put this in perspective, at this hour, a month ago, that number was 646 dead. Health experts caution the actual death toll is assuredly much higher than 50,000. Exactly two months ago, President Trump tweeted, quote, The coronavirus is very much under control in the USA. We can clearly now see that was not the case then, and it is not the case now, amid this horrific death toll. President Trump, meanwhile, continues to make bizarre public statements, ones at odds with medical and scientific expertise. The president last night suggesting that, quote, injecting disinfectant could be used as a treatment for coronavirus. In response, the official Twitter account of the Centers for Disease Control Control and Prevention has now tweeted a warning that Americans should, quote, follow the instructions on the product label to ensure safe and effective, effective use. The company that makes Lysol also felt the need to issue a public statement warning customers to not consume their products. The White House press secretary and the president's factotums in the right-wing media claimed that the press was taking President Trump's comments out of context, which we were not. And then this afternoon, the president made their empty defenses of him even less rooted, in fact, when he claimed he had been sarcastic. And he was posing the questions to, to journalists, quote, just to see what would happen, unquote, which is not remotely what happened. Simply put, it's a bald-faced lie. The president wasn't even talking, posing the bizarre question about disinfectants to journalists. He was talking to an official of the Department of Homeland Security who had been talking about how sunlight and disinfectants helped to kill the coronavirus when it was in the air and on non-porous surfaces, not when it was in the human body. But don't take it from me. Take a look and listen for yourself. A question that probably some of you are thinking of if you're totally into that world, which I find to be very interesting. So supposing we hit the body with a tremendous, uh, whether it's ultraviolet or just very powerful light. And I think you said that hasn't been checked, but you're going to test it. And then I said, supposing you brought the light inside the body, which you can do either through the skin or uh, in some other way. And I think you said you're going to test that, too. Sounds interesting. Right. And then I see the disinfectant where it knocks it out in a minute, one minute. And is there a way we can do something like that uh, by injection inside or or almost a cleaning? What's more important than Lysol gate itself is what this all suggests about the president's ability to handle this crisis, which has now killed more than 50,000 people in the United States. CNN's Caitlin Collins is there with us now. 
Worth more on the CDC warning about the health problems that can be caused by using disinfectants the wrong way in the human body. I was asking a question sarcastically to reporters like you just to see what would happen. President Trump now says he was just kidding when he wondered aloud if sunlight, UV rays or household disinfectants could possibly kill the coronavirus inside the body. No, of course. No, of course. That was uh, interior wise. It's said sarcastically. It It was put in the form of a question to a group of extraordinarily hostile people, namely the fake news media. Trump made the initial remarks on camera yesterday after a Department of Homeland Security official said they tested how sunlight and disinfectants could kill coronavirus on surfaces and in the air. Trump then mused about whether it could work on people. Supposing we hit the body with a tremendous, uh, whether it's ultraviolet or just very powerful light, and I think you said that hasn't been checked, but you're going to test it. And then I said, supposing you brought the light inside the body, which you can do either through the skin or uh, in some other way. And I think you said you're going to test that, too. Sounds interesting. Right. And then I see the disinfectant where it knocks it out in a minute, one minute. And is there a way we can do something like that Uh, by injection inside or or almost a cleaning? Because you see it gets on the lungs and it. There's a tremendous number of the lungs, so it'd be interesting to check that. So that you're going to have to use medical doctors with. But it sounds, it sounds interesting to me. At one point, Trump instructed scientists to look into the matter. I would like you to speak to the medical doctors to see if there's any way that you can apply light and heat to cure. I'm not a doctor, but I'm like a person that has a good, you know what. The president's remarks were immediately criticized by doctors across the country. And the company that makes Lysol issued a statement warning consumers not to try it at home. After Trump was angered by media coverage of his remarks, the White House claimed reporters took him out of context but didn't say he was being sarcastic. At the briefing, the president appeared serious and even asked Dr. Deborah Burks to weigh in. Deborah, have you ever heard of that, uh, the uh, heat and the light relative to... Certain viruses, yes, but relative to this virus? Not as a treatment. I mean, certainly fever is a good thing when you have a fever. It helps your body respond. But not as I've not seen heat or light. I I think it's a great thing to look at. In the last 48 hours, the president has put his own doctors and scientists in uncomfortable positions. On a CNN town hall last night, FDA Commissioner Stephen Hahn hedged when he was asked about the president's comments. And no, I certainly wouldn't recommend the internal um, ingestion of uh, a disinfectant. After Dr. Anthony Fauci said the U.S. needed to ramp up testing, Trump disagreed with him openly at the briefing. I don't agree with him on that. No, I think we're doing a great job on testing. The day before, Trump and Fauci were also at odds over whether the coronavirus would reappear this fall. You may not even have corona coming back. We will have coronavirus in the fall. I am convinced of that. That same day, Trump also announced the CDC director would issue a correction for quotes he then affirmed were accurate. I'm accurately quoted in The Washington Post. 
Now, Jake, the president is now saying he was being sarcastic when he made those remarks yesterday. But if you look at the Twitter feeds of some of his own officials and agencies, that doesn't seem to be the case because you saw the Surgeon General tweet this morning that people should make sure they consult with their doctors before pursuing any treatment. And then this afternoon, the CDC issued a warning saying household cleaners and disinfectants can cause problems when not used properly. It's ridiculous. Obviously, he was not being sarcastic. Thank you, Caitlin Collins. Appreciate it. Uh, joining me now to discuss uh, the medical issues behind this, Dr. Stephen Ostroff, the former commissioner of the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. He's worked under both President Obama and President Trump. Doc, doctor, I want to focus mainly on, on where we go from here in terms of the pandemic, pandemic but I do want to get reaction uh, when you heard the president openly, openly suggesting injecting disinfectant as a possible treatment for coronavirus for the Department of Human Services and the doctors to look into. Uh, what was your response when you heard that? Well, I think that's, um, you know, for anyone that's listening, it's very, very important to say that that is a dangerous thing to do. And nobody should be using disinfectants with the idea that somehow they are therapeutic. And so, you know, if you think about it, there is no basis to either inject one of these disinfectants or to inject uh, bleach um, to inhale it, <clears throat> to think that it may do something in your lungs, um, or to, um, to drink it. Um, all of those can be very, very dangerous. Um, and so uh, none of that should be attempted as a, as a way to uh, deal with the coronavirus infections. I think one thing that's uh, what's, I think, uh, interesting is that uh, just by coincidence, uh, yesterday, uh, the CDC, my former colleagues at CDC, um, uh, issued a report looking at uh, calls to poison control centers over the last couple of months related to bleach and disinfectants. And one of the things that was noted is that the number of calls being received is considerably higher than it was at the same time period a year ago. And that was before these announcements mm. yesterday showing that there are already a lot of people that are using these types of disinfectants to try to clean their homes or maybe to add them to uh, uh, hand sanitizers, etc. And it just shows you that there are, are dangers even using them in, in, in that way. And so the idea that you would uh, inhale or ingest or inject these um, really makes no sense and can be definitely dangerous. As a doctor watching this, as the former head of the FDA under Obama and Trump, what do you think when you see people like Dr. Fauci, Dr. Burks, Dr. Redfield, people of medical expertise having to dance around or avoid these bizarre statements from President Trump? First, that the pandemic was no big deal, comparing it to the flu, then talking up, uh, you know, medical cures that had been unproven. And now this. Did, did you encounter that when you were head of the FDA under him or under President Obama? Um, two things to mention. One is not only did I work at the FDA, but I also worked at the CDC for many, many years. And one of the areas that I worked in in both locations was emerging infectious diseases. Um, so we've had any number of events, uh, maybe not of this magnitude or this consequence, but many events over the years um, uh, with emerging infectious diseases. And one of the things that I can say is regardless of which ones they were, there are always political dimensions 
to these types of emerging infectious disease situations. Um, you know, if you think back, for instance, one of them that I was involved in um, uh, quite heavily was the anthrax attacks back in the early 2000s. And some of those anthrax-laced mm -hmm. letters actually were delivered uh, to members of Congress. And so there's always politics that comes into play. But one of the important things, and I think one of the things that all of the scientists and all of the doctors involved are trying to do is make sure that we stick as closely as we possibly can to the evidence and that we try to practice evidence-based medicine when dealing with a situation like this. You wrote an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal with uh, former FDA Commissioner Gottlieb. You said, quote, the threat from COVID-19 won't end when the epidemic subsides. The recent upsurge in cases in Singapore and Japan shows how easily the virus can reemerge. It will be a constant threat until an effective vaccine is on the market. So what do we as a society need to do, doctor, to begin to responsibly facilitate some reopening of the country? Well, um, we're in the middle of a wave. Um, it appears in some areas that we're at the peak of the wave and others we may be now on the downside of that wave. Others are still going up. It's very important when we make decisions about what to do that we base them on data and we base them on evidence. There are clear criteria that have been set up uh, that have been established about when it's time to start easing back on, on the stay-at-home orders and some of the other social distancing measures. And I think that in order to have the best outcomes, we need to stick to those. I mean, realizing that the societal implications, the economic implications uh, of this outbreak, the consequences are nothing like we have seen in the world for almost 100 years. And so there's incredible pressure to try to get through this. But we are dealing with a situation where you have to balance those pressures upon trying to get out and stay ahead of what the virus is doing. And if you start mm -hmm. easing back on these measures too quickly, there is definitely the possibility that there will be a rebound and it will just take longer to start easing back on some of these measures. Yeah. Dr. Stephen Ostroff, thank you so much. We appreciate your time, sir. You can now go to the gym or a bowling alley in Georgia, and it's not the only state starting to reopen. We're going to talk to Dr. Sanjay Gupta about that and the president's recent claims. Next, plus breaking news about the commander of the USS Theodore Roosevelt, one top official now pushing for his reinstatement. Stay with us. Breaking news just in a stunning turnaround. Leaders of the U.S. Navy now recommending that Captain Brett Crozier be reinstated as commander of the USS Theodore Roosevelt, according to an administration official. You may recall Crozier was removed from command after sending a letter pleading for help to help uh, combat the, in the fact that there was a coronavirus outbreak on his aircraft carrier. His departure was met with hundreds of sa sailors yelling Captain Crozier and applauding his service, as you hear right now. CNN's Barbara Starr joins us. Uh, and Barbara, Defense Secretary Mark Esper, uh, he has not made a final decision. He's still just considering whether to sign off on this or not. What, what are you hearing from your sources? Well, remember, Jake, uh, the man who fired Crozier himself got fired a few days later for how he handled all of it. There was a Navy investigation this morning. The chief of naval operations, Admiral Michael Gilday, 
met with Esper, presented his recommendation, the Navy recommendation that Crozier be reinstated to command of the carrier Theodore Roosevelt, one of the most coveted commands in the Navy. And Esper, so far at this hour, has not accepted the Navy recommendation. That is a surprise. Uh, the indications are that Esper was was expected to uh, accept it. Crozier would be reinstated and life would move on. But that has not happened. So we are still awaiting some kind of statement from the Pentagon, some kind of decision from the defense secretary at this hour, Jake. There are more than 850 sailors from the Roosevelt who are testing positive for the coronavirus. And he was trying to save them. Barbara Starr, thank you so much. A sarcastic question. That's what President Trump is now claiming, not particularly credibly, about his bizarre riff last night when he asked his team to look into the possibility of injecting disinfectants into humans as a possible treatment or cure for coronavirus. That suggestion spawned more than 100 calls to Maryland's emergency hotline with questions about it. Joining me now to talk about this and much more, CNN Chief Medical Correspondent Dr. Sanjay Gupta. Sanjay, uh, first, your reaction to, to President Trump. I was stunned uh, by that. I mean, I had to, you know, rewind and, and play it back and forth a couple of times to make sure I heard that correctly. I mean, it was pretty clear that he was he was riffing. There was a conversation earlier in the press briefing about environmental conditions being out in the environment and what sunlight and humidity might do to the virus. Uh, but then to extrapolate that and saying, well, why don't we take those same things and put it inside the body, uh, putting disinfectant inside the body? And um, I mean, it was it was. Um, Stunning, you know, and 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 dangerous. Uh, I I was very anxious to see how uh, the 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 task force was going to respond to this, uh, including Ambassador Burks and Dr. Stephen Hahn and and everybody else. So I, you know, it was just one of those moments where I saw this collision of 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 you know this this uh, politics and and science really happen. Um, I wanted to ask you also. The FDA warned today of serious side effects associated with chloroquine and hydroxychloroquine. Um, what does it take for the FDA to issue a warning like that? And, and what's your reaction to that? Yeah, no, it's pretty significant. And I, the, the language was specifically, you know, there's no evidence that this works, uh, hydroxychloroquine and chloroquine in the treatment of COVID. And there may be significant side effects. I mean, uh, it, it, it's a significant warning, Jake, and I guess maybe it goes without saying maybe even more of a significant warning right now, because obviously there's been a lot of enthusiasm from the White House around these medications. So for the FDA to say this in, in this environment, I think, is is very significant. It does sort of follow uh, a lot of what we've been hearing uh, from other countries, including Brazil, Sweden and France. These are all small studies. I want to emphasize that we emphasize it each time, Jake. You know, we all want the, the real, what we call randomized uh, prospective study. So uh, prospective going forward and randomized, meaning patients are put into different groups and the investigators don't know which group uh, the, is getting the medication, which is not. Uh, but we don't have data that, that that's that good yet. So uh, based on what they've seen so far, what the FDA has said, uh, doctors need to make this decision on their own. They need to look at the availability of data and make this decision on their own. Well, Jake, I'm a doctor. I talked to lots of doctors about this and, you know, just uh, anecdotally, admittedly, poll and say, would you do this? And and everyone has said no. I mean, A, there's not the efficacy, you know, the effectiveness data, and there's legitimate concerns about side effects. I mean, maybe in the higher doses, more than the lower doses, but still, 
We don't know. So this was a significant move. We also know that there's going to be some some bigger data sets coming out at the end of this month. I heard, uh, you know, speaking to Governor Cuomo, that's in New York is where they've been doing a lot of these clinical trials of five different hospitals. We need that data. But so far, the drumbeat of evidence has not been there. The NIH has recommended against it. And now the FDA has put out this statement, Jake. It's too bad because, as you and I have both discussed, it would be great if it worked, uh, chloroquine or hydroxychloroquine. So, Sanjay, today, Georgia, Oklahoma, Texas and Alaska are easing restrictions on some businesses. And according to The Washington Post, some governors, including Governor Kemp in Georgia, are reopening businesses without giving advance notice to regional health departments. If medical staff and, and experts were looped in, could all of this have been handled better, do you think, especially in Georgia, where you are? I, I think it, it uh, could have been handled better. I think there was members even of the task force here in Georgia that didn't know about this decision until they read about it in the newspaper, heard about it in the news. Um, but the reality is that, uh, you know, people should have been informed. But the, but the greater reality is that uh, the state shouldn't open yet. I mean, and, I, and again, I recognize and you, Jake, recognize you've said this many times that there's obviously a lot of pressure uh, in, on businesses to open. There's, there's real hardship going on. And I, and I hear about that a lot. I mean, I live in this state uh, and I have these conversations with folks. But the reality is that uh, there's there, upon no basis should the state be opening yet from a public health standpoint. That's just plain and simple. And, I, and again, as I've said, I don't want to hedge on this point. It doesn't meet the 14 day downward trend. That exists for a reason. That gives you some comfort that at least you're on the backside of that curve. When you look at what's happening in Georgia, even without the reopening, which, by the way, is now recommended by these same modelers to be June 22nd, which I hate hearing. I live here. My daughters hate hearing that. But that is what the the same models uh, recommend, June 22nd now. But if you look at the curve, we're not on the backside of that curve. The numbers are expected to double in the next couple of weeks, triple. Uh, by, uh, you know, I think the uh, middle of May. So it's, it's, it's a real concern still what's happening here. And I worry that some of the progress that's been made will start to be erased. The, 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 the more practical point, I think, from the, the public health officials not knowing is that we need to be able to test people. Uh, we need to have people be able to be tested so they know I don't have the virus. I have some more confidence now when I go out or when I'm in a public location that I don't have the virus. I'm not spreading it to other people. That means you have to have point of location testing in several places where, where people can actually realistically get the test. Yes, capacity may be increased, but if people can't still get the test, like who do I call, where do I go, how do I get my results, everyone should be able to answer that question everywhere in the country. In Georgia, they can't answer that question. It's just too early to open. The president has said that, Dr. Fauci has said yeah. that, Ambassador Burks has said that, all the public health officials in Georgia have told the governor that. This is a, this is a, uh, it's a bad decision. All right, Dr. Sanjay Gupta, thank you so much. Have a great weekend. Um, I will see you Monday. You don't want to miss Dr. Sanjay Gupta's town, uh, very special town hall tomorrow morning. He's going to team up with CNN's Erica Hill and the cast of Sesame Street, especially our friend Big Bird, to answer your children's questions about coronavirus, the ABCs of COVID-19. That airs tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. Eastern here on CNN, a very special event for you and your kids. As nearby states begin to reopen, I'm going to talk with the governor of North Carolina, who is taking different approach than some of his other governors. That's next. Stay with us. Before we can begin easing those. In Georgia today, you can now visit a salon or get a tattoo or go to the gym. 
On Monday, you'll be able to sit down at a restaurant in Georgia or go see a movie in a theater as the state of Georgia moves forward with reopening what are deemed non-essential businesses. Atlanta's mayor told CNN today it's like living in the, quote, twilight zone. Georgia's governor is not the only one pushing to reopen against the advice of top health officials, as CNN's Kyung Law reports. As the U.S. death toll crosses 50,000 lives lost, some businesses reopening. Donning masks, barbershops are back. Defying public health warnings, Georgia and Oklahoma allow doors to open at some businesses like salons. But some businesses refuse to open, saying it is too soon. I don't want to take any chances for my people. Most of my chefs have children. And we all have to know what we're going home to at the end of the night is safe. In Texas, curbside retail is open. I walk out to their trunk, put them in there, or go in the front seat. Thank you so much for your purchase, for, for helping us. The state pushed to restart the economy, happening from the South, the Midwest to Alaska. A real-time experiment of the virus versus state policies. In South Carolina, department stores are now open with some restrictions. Wisconsin, golf courses and some retail open curbside. Alaska, restaurants allowed to open at a quarter of capacity. Into the weekend and next week, more states open up. Tennessee will be allowing restaurants to open at half capacity on Monday, saying it's time. Our approach to rebooting the economy, it must be steady and methodical and empower opening in a way that doesn't jeopardize all of the strides that we've made so far. Atlanta's mayor predicts it may be the end of local progress against a global pandemic. What I expect is that in a couple of weeks, we will see our numbers continue to rise in this state. New York's governor warned the country must learn from our very recent history as testing continues to be inadequate, says the National Governors Association. So what is the lesson? An outbreak anywhere is an outbreak everywhere. That's why Michigan's governor, facing small but vocal right-wing protests to reopen, is extending the stay-at-home order for her state until May 15th. So as hard as this moment is for us right now, as isolated as we feel and as stressed as we are about getting back to work, reopening up businesses, we know that if we do it too fast, a second wave is likely and would be even more devastating. In Los Angeles, California, a grim announcement that highlights the toll of this virus. And another dark threshold that we crossed is that COVID-19 is now the leading cause of death in Los Angeles County. Deaths are doubling every seven to eight days here in Los Angeles still. So given that grim assessment, there's no real discussion about opening up Los Angeles or the state of California in any real substantive way. But as far as what the reality looks like on the ground as these states are opening, CNN was across Atlanta, across Georgia, and found actually that a lot of businesses stayed closed. They couldn't find the supplies, the bleach, in order to keep people safe, or they simply didn't have the cost in order to reopen and meet those state guidelines. But CNN did find beauty salons that were open, people that were lined up, people having their temperature taken to get their haircut, and a bowling alley, Jake, where people were indeed waiting to bowl, and an alley owner who said he couldn't believe that he was allowed to open on phase one. Jake? He's not alone. Kung La, thank you so much. Appreciate it.
Joining me now is North Carolina's Governor Roy Cooper, uh, who just extended his state's stay-at-home orders until at least May 8th. Uh, Governor, thanks so much for joining us. You said today you're particularly concerned about the neighboring state of Georgia uh, because Governor Kemp is lifting restrictions. You're planning to speak to Governor Kemp. Um, What's your biggest concern about what Georgia's doing? Well, thanks, Jake, for having me on. The virus doesn't respect state lines. And in North Carolina, we took early, strong action. And I'm proud of the people of North Carolina that they have flattened the curve. We're not going to risk the health of our people or our hospital system by opening too early. We know that if you just turn on the light, then you're going to have a real problem. We're going to use a dimmer switch, and we're going to use science and data and facts to make the decision on when we begin opening gradually. And we know we have a lot of visitors from Georgia. We love our friends in Georgia, but we're really concerned about how quickly this is happening. And we want to make sure that we keep our numbers as low as possible so that we can begin the process of reopening because a lot of people are hurting out there economically. I can understand the desire to want to open up as quickly as possible because of all the people hurting, but we have to listen to the health experts on this. Yeah, and I want to talk about the, the economic effect in a second, but, but just starkly put, are you worried that Governor Kemp is making decisions that will cost North Carolinians health and lives and possibly set back your anticipated reopening timeline? We're very concerned about it. And we know that the positive cases probably won't show up until two or three weeks from now. I was talking to people in western North Carolina, which is probably many of them live closer to Atlanta than they do in Raleigh, the capital of North Carolina. And they're concerned about uh, their friends who go to Georgia and come back and that it could end up uh, causing infections in North Carolina. You know, we're all in this together, and we, we need a national strategy. We, we need to work together to try to fight this virus. We're going to beat it at the end of the day, but what we want to try to do mm-hmm. is to work together, and I hope we can. So protesters uh, in Raleigh, North Carolina this week, uh, we're calling for you to end your lockdown measures. Uh, we've seen some of these groups uh, egged on by Fox News and, and President Trump trying to get your attention. You acknowledge that there are people hurting out there. What is your message to the protesters? I know you're frustrated. I know that people are tired of being home. I know that uh, 725,000 North Carolinians have filed for unemployment insurance, and many families are hanging by a thread. But we also know that this is a life or death situation, and we have to make the call about protecting lives first. We can do things to help the economy. We want to put those unemployment payments into the system. We want to get the stimulus money there. Uh, We've let a lot of other essential businesses continue to run, and that's important. And hopefully it can get us through this period of time. But we have to listen to the scientists. And my three-phase program will get us back to a new normal, realizing that we're not 
going to be able to get rid of this problem until we get a vaccine. So we're going to have to learn to live in a different way. We're going to have to learn to make our economy work in a different way. And we're going to have to do it through phases. And we are looking at the science and Mm -hmm. the data. We are looking at the positive cases, the percentage of positive cases, the hospitalizations. We're going to measure those metrics and make decisions to go each step to try to make it like a dimmer switch and, and to get our economy back going back that way. And, and we're mm. going to get there. I ask people to, to be patient. You just announced you're keeping schools closed for the remainder of the school year, meaning you have theoretically through the summer to figure out a plan before students return. How do you plan to tackle the reentry process for an estimated 1.5 million North Carolina students? Education is valued in North Carolina, and I'm so proud of the teachers, the teacher assistants, the bus drivers, the cafeteria workers who have continued serving meals to children who are physically out of school, but we're doing a lot of remote learning. And I did announce today that we were going to say that there were going to be no more in-person classes, but the learning doesn't stop. And what we have to do is to adapt to the new normal. We have to understand that we've got to get uh, high-speed Internet access to people in rural areas, and we're working with AT&T and Duke Energy to use school buses with hotspots. And we're also working to make sure that we can go back in for the next school year, getting our schools ready, Mm -hmm. figuring out how we're going to deal with teachers who are in the at-risk population, how we're going to keep our students socially distanced, how we're going to... Uh, make it make the school work uh, in the new normal. And we're working now to try to get ready for next year while we're still trying to make sure that kids learn as much as possible for the remainder of this school year with remote learning. Yeah. Governor Roy Cooper, uh, Democrat of the great state of North Carolina, thank you so much. Please let us know if there's anything you need us to shine a light on to help uh, get the federal government to bring things to the great Tar Heel State. Thank you so much, sir. Coming up next, a CNN investigation, the new accusations that unproving antibody tests were fast-tracked by the FDA, and why one congressman says the results might be catastrophic. Stay with us. First on CNN, a new congressional subcommittee report obtained by CNN says that the FDA is not doing enough to protect Americans from unproven coronavirus antibody tests. Instead, letting dozens of companies take these tests and make them public with almost no guarantee they will work. CNN senior investigative correspondent Drew Griffin is digging in in this exclusive report. Slammed by criticism, it slowed down testing during the early coronavirus outbreak. The FDA sped up the process for the next step by allowing dozens of antibody tests to go straight into the marketplace, most without FDA authorization. President Trump asked the FDA to remove all unnecessary barriers. An antibody test is supposed to detect whether someone has had a novel coronavirus infection and recovered even with no symptoms. But except for a handful which have been authorized by the FDA, it's hard to tell whether the hundred-odd tests out there work. Basically, the results could be catastrophic for so many people. Just imagine someone who thought that um, they are somehow immune because of the presence of antibodies, and then they go out and they expose themselves and they get other people sick. 
very instructive. Illinois Democratic Congressman Raja Krishnamurti is chairman of a House Oversight Subcommittee investigating the antibody test market. Its preliminary report, obtained by CNN, says a lack of enforcement by FDA has allowed manufacturers to make fraudulent claims that the FDA is unable to validate the accuracy of antibody tests that are already on the market. And FDA has failed to police the coronavirus antibody test market, has taken no public enforcement action against any company, and has not conveyed any clear policy on serological tests. The FDA tells CNN it is policing problem tests, citing a statement by its commissioner the day after the FDA met with the committee. We have and will continue to take appropriate action against firms making or distributing unvalidated tests or those making false claims, such as issuing warning letters requesting that companies stop their unlawful promotion. Still, the Democrats on the committee insist the FDA's actions have led to a free-for-all. Tests popping up on the Internet for sale. The Congressional Committee citing a report that a Texas emergency room spent half a million dollars on 20,000 tests from China that were worthless. Congressman Krishnamurti says the FDA needs to act immediately and stop unverified tests from being sold. They should clear the market. While the FDA has not banned sales, it has set up two pathways to approve tests. Just four of those have received emergency use authorization so far, though dozens of others have applied. Meantime, companies are allowed to sell tests as long as they're clearly labeled as not FDA approved to be used only in a laboratory setting. But according to David Grenache, chief scientific officer at Tricor Reference Laboratories, the rules are vague and require doctors to read fine print. I've seen some emails from marketers, uh, from salespeople who are quick to sell their devices. And honestly, some of them are very deceptive. They make it uh, they, they don't make it clear that these really should be performed in a laboratory. Health experts say antibody tests are crucial in reopening the country, advising the public who may or may not be susceptible to further infection, which is why Chairman Krishnamurti is adamant about making sure the tests for sale work. I fear that a lot of people are are going to continue to, to, to buy these uh, tests based on faulty assumptions and then get faulty conclusions that could lead to dangerous life decisions. Jake, the FDA tells us it's constantly evaluating its policies, but this policy stands right now. Unapproved tests will be sold on the market as long as they clearly say they should not be used as a sole basis for predicting infection, an admission by the FDA that they don't think they may work. Jake? Drew Griffin, thanks so much for that excellent report. Today we're going to take a moment to remember some of the parents, spouses, children, and even infants gone far too soon because of the coronavirus, including four-month-old Jay Natalie LaSanta, daughter of New York City firefighter Gerald LaSanta and his wife Lindsay LaSanta, their only daughter, was already struggling with a heart condition, but dad said she, quote, went out looking like a princess, wearing a new dress that was meant for his FDNY graduation ceremony. This outbreak has brought death to all walks of life, regardless of age and race and economic backgrounds. We remember those victims in their families' own words. She would give, like, these bear hugs that would, like, literally lift you up off the ground. We were kids. He's always saying, you know, I'm going to buy a house for mom. I'm going to buy a house for mom and a house. And we used to be like, yeah, child. But, you know, 
he managed to do that. He was a trailblazer, you know, working in Wall Street. My mom was a nurse for 38 years, probably doing the same for other people. Uh, so it's amazing to me that um, that these nurses were able to give back to her in that way. He loved to play his joyful Spanish merengue songs as he prepared himself to volunteer. He was a devoted member within the NYPD that protected and served the Sunset Park community. She did the best she could. That's all you can ask is that she was there for us when we needed her. In Colorado, Democratic Governor Jared Polis announced he is letting the stay-at-home order for his state expire. But the mayor of Denver says he's extending restrictions for his city. And that mayor, Michael Hancock, joins me now. Uh, Mr. Mayor, why is what Governor Polis is doing not the right move for Denver? Uh, Thanks, Jake. First of all, the governor's guidance was tremendously helpful to us. Um, It's just that when we think about Denver and why we instituted the uh, orders in the first place, we weren't quite ready. And uh, when we take into consideration Denver's density, uh, our diverse populations, um, the different uh, sizes and and types of uh, industries that we have in Denver, entertainment complexes, sports complexes, we recognize that we have a lot of uh, points we need to cover before we begin to ease back into this. And I never surrendered on the importance of testing and contact tracing Um, that we wanted to make sure was in place at least to a level that we felt confident we can give people assurances that they can go back to work uh, safely and that our consumers could grow in confidence that where they were going in terms of publicly uh, would be safe as well. I have cousins in Denver. Won't it be confusing for them and everyone else to have two different sets of instructions, one from the governor, one from the mayor, completely at odds? You know, Jake, what I have shared with the public here today when I made my announcement was just make sure that you understand that our orders remain in place. Nothing changes. So uh, if you're in the city of Denver, our orders, or at least the orders for the city of Denver, didn't change in terms of the implementation date from the governor. So the governor's date was April 26th. Ours was April 30th. We would have remained in place for four additional days anyway. So now they must just understand that the Denver orders will remain in place for another uh, week or so and until May the 8th and that nothing changes. Stay in place and, and know that none of the locations that were closed during the order will open up and none of the essential workers or essential operations that were open uh, at this point in time during the order uh, would have to close. So nothing will change until May the 8th or at least midnight on May 9th. The White House guidelines are pretty clear about there needing to be 14 days of of, uh, a reduction in cases. Why do you think Governor Polis is doing this? You know, the governor, I I know, is being driven by science and and data. Uh, He has a lot of good, uh, very capable people uh, advising him on public health issues um, and the data around this, uh, around the virus. Um, He also has to balance the need of a state that has a very diverse economy all over the state of Colorado, as do I as the city of Denver, but a much smaller uh, model in which to have to govern and make decisions for. Uh, So the governor is walking the balance Mm -hmm. and doing what is necessary, I think. He's given guidelines, but he also recognizes, I believe, the the diversity of the state of Colorado in terms of our economies as well as Mm -hmm. the industries and the presence of 
of activity in our, in our communities. And he's given municipalities and localities the ability mm -hmm. to adapt their policies according to the guidance that he's given. And that was very helpful. And so when we look All at right. Denver, we recognize that we cannot fly as of Monday of uh, this week, coming mm -hmm. week. But if we extend it out, we can put some things in place that are important to us, but also can assure mm -hmm. or give greater confidence to the consumers of Denver, as well as our industries, that we're going to do everything right. we can to keep everyone safe and healthy as we ease out of, this, uh, out of these orders. Okay, Mayor Michael Hancock, thank you so much. Appreciate your time this Sunday on State of the Union. I'll ask Colorado Governor Jared Polis uh, what he thinks. Our guests will also be Speaker Pelosi, uh, Stacey Abrams, and Dr. Deborah Burks. Uh, our, the Situation Room with Wolf Blitzer starts right now. We all do things our own way. And since the way that each of us sleeps is unique, you need a bed that fits you just the right way. Sleep Number Smart Beds make your sleep experience as individual as you are, using cutting-edge technology to give you effortless, high-quality sleep every night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 Smart Bed is only $15.99. Save $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.